As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We are back. It is a Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo with you for the next hour or so. Uh, we're going to hit on, uh, you know, it's been a quiet time in, in hockey, but look, Nazem Kadri is still in, uh, in in the news cycle. We'll talk some World Junior Hockey. Our pal, our pal uh, Domlius Chichin has his uh, latest front office confidence rankings out. We'll hit on all of that. Got some fun mailbag questions a little this week and hockey history. A lot to uh, listen even though it's quiet, there's a lot to get to. And I got to tell you, Sean, like you and I were talking about this before as we, we kind of batted around some ideas for topics this week. You're like, hey, can we please hit on Nazem Kadri? And yep. it is like, can we at least admit it's kind of weird that a player of this ilk who had the season that he had is still sitting there in unrestricted free agency here? on And, and again, we both said we're going to drop this episode on Thursday afternoon and the Islanders are going to yep. announce a seven-year deal with Nazem Kadri. hundred percent. Yeah, thank we're us. We're going to will later. this into existence. Yeah, yeah. But it, it it is weird, right? Like, so let me start here. You just said, is it weird that he's still sitting there? Is he still sitting there, <laughs> right. or is Nazem Kadri's deal done, and we just don't know about it? Because it feels like over the last couple of weeks, and you and I, we've both been like, you know off on quasi vacations and that. So, you know, maybe sometimes you miss some of the 
the subtlety or the details as the story is unfolding. But it feels like a couple of weeks ago it was like, man, Kadri's still out there. Somebody's going to get a bargain. And now it's sort of flipped to, you know what? He's got a deal somewhere. There, there must be some team that he has, has got a handshake with. Maybe something more than that. And they just are not putting it out there. Which, of course, leads everyone to look at the Islanders. Because last year, we remember they had some smaller deals that they, they had in place. And they just didn't announce. They just didn't tell us. Um, <laughs> for reasons that I don't think anyone was ever 100% clear on. But it you know, had to do with the, the cap and some other things. And are they doing that again with Nazem Kadri? Um, I don't know. Like, is... is it's it's very confusing to me. I'm I'm taking off my media hat. I'm putting on my fan hat here. It is very confusing and frustrating to me that arguably the number two free agent in the entire league in the offseason is in this um, limbo where he may have already signed somewhere and they're, they're just not telling us. You're right when you say if he has a deal in place, the one... GM who would sign a deal that says you if you leak this to anybody it ain't happening is Lou Lamorello right now right uh yeah Islanders might have to move some money and they have some other things to do like I get that but you're right like it is odd that if he's got a handshake deal with the Islanders that we would get to the 18th 19th of August and there's not even a leak about it there Uh, are by my count about a dozen teams that are over the cap right now. And by when I say over the cap, I mean over the opening night cap. Yeah. Um, some of which are only over by a couple million bucks. Now, remember, you can go over the cap in the summer. I, I think it's 10%. Um, so I, I everybody is under that number. And almost the entire league could fit Nazem Kadri under, quote unquote, under the, the offseason cap right now. Um. They would have to move money and, and make moves to uh, to get under to get compliant by opening night, but they could do it. The New York Islanders are ten million bucks under the cap. So, what possible incentive? Like, I get that if you're a cap, you know, if if you're a cap team, maybe you think, hey, if we got to move money, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a little tougher to do if they know we've got Kadri, and you know, that maybe the prices go up a bit. I, I could see that. And I could certainly see if he's, you know, let's just say he's signing with Tampa Bay, which is the most capped out team. You know, they might say, Lee, we literally can't afford it. So give us a couple of days so we can move somebody out. But that doesn't explain a couple of weeks. And it, like, there's something, there's, there's something going on here, which is either maybe we're just all seeing something that isn't there. Uh, and he just doesn't have a deal with any team yet. And he's still trying to figure out where he wants to go. Um, or maybe there's a reason that we don't understand. Uh, but I'll just say this, like if it's the, the Islanders are 10 million under the cap. If he's got to deal with the Islanders and they're just not telling us because Lou, that's dumb, right? Can we just say that? Like, this is, this is, this is dumb and annoying and it's not, you know, like I know it's Lou being Lou and all of this and, and, you know, he's, he's. 35 years in the league and you know this this is just dumb if if and and the nhl should not allow a big name free agent to 
sit in limbo like this just because some team wants to flex its muscles and say, you can't make me tell you what, what I'm doing. I, I'm with you. Look, look, I I get why organizations might want to keep certain parts, I guess, of a contract um, under wraps. I get, like, I, I'm a believer of in the cap era, you got to be transparent with your fans. Yes. Tell them this is the year, this is the AAV, like term we, we AAV. Finally all of that. got to yes. the point, more or less, where right. we got teams to stop doing that stupid thing where they would tell us they'd sign somebody but not give us the cap hit. You know, remember, they'd be like, oh, we've signed yeah. so-and-so to a two-year extension. And you're looking at it going, "You guys, it's a hard cap league. We have to know the number. Yeah. And and yet so many teams were, and I remember I wrote, I wrote a piece on it years ago, and I was, ta- like, I talked to some teams. I'm like, why do you do this? And they're like, we don't actually know. We just, you know, the GM just tells us to because other teams do it. And, right. Know, th- like, this league is so, it's like the default setting for the NHL is don't tell the fans anything that that we don't want to tell them. And, you know, remember Gary Bettman years ago famously had the, you know, well, I don't think the fans care about the salary cap. It's like, dude, you made it. You shut the league down for a whole year to get it. We do yeah. care about it. We need to. And I, I, I don't want to rant too much on this because, again, we're this is pure speculation on our part. Like, the you know, the Islanders might be sitting there going, dude, we haven't even talked to Nazem Kadri. Leave us alone. But there's so much smoke around Kadri is going to the Islanders but they just haven't announced it yet. But, man, I know everyone's like, everyone respects Lou Lamorello slash is afraid of him. But <laughs> I just feel like if this is what's going on, let's just say it. This is stupid. And and Gary Bettman or whoever should step in and be like, guys, we're not doing this. The offseason is part of our entertainment product. Big name free agents is part of our entertainment product. And you're not going to just secretly sign guys and not tell anyone for a month until it's mid-August and nobody's paying attention to hockey anymore. Uh, knock it off. Yeah. Like, look look at how much excitement we got out of the Matthew Kachuk, Jonathan Huberdo trade where we were like, wow, this is what it must be like to be an NBA fan, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. middle of the offseason, a, a, a huge, juicy trade. We loved it, and it was great. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I remember, like, years ago, I used to work in the media relations department of the Ottawa Senators, and... Like we had, it was almost like a boilerplate. Uh, uh, if we signed a player to a contract, there was a line that was put in there that said, "Under club policy, yeah. uh, you know, terms of the deal are not disclosed." You know, and you're and mm-hmm. you didn't even think and twice then we, about and it. And then it would get leaked to an insider. Yeah, ten minutes later. Yeah, and you know, and, and and it's out there. So why not look? I understand. Like I, I I do think that there's something. Like I think of the NFL. Remember a couple of weeks ago. When that one element of Kyler Murray's contract got leaked, and they're yes. like, uh, the Arizona Ki- uh, Cardinals uh, are asking Kyler Murray to study X amount of hours, and they, they turned into a story. You're like, okay, I can understand why you want that kept under wraps because that that makes the player look bad, the the organization look bad, everybody looks bad. I get that, but when it comes to yeah, we've signed the guy, and here's the term and the dollar, like. That's in the public interest, in your fans' it is. interest. It's the, pu- yes. it's the public. And, and look, it's all of it is. And I look, I hate the take that you hear sometimes where, you know, oh, I pay your salary and, you know, I'm the, but this <laughs> is one of those cases where, look, guys, this league exists because of fans being interested in the product. You guys make millions of dollars because fans are willing to pay our money to watch you guys play. Uh, 
And and so and you deserve that money for that reason. You built a product that people are interested in. It's an entertainment product. I'm willing to pay money for it. That money should go to the players. It should go to you know everyone involved. Great. I'm all for it. Um, I hope the players make more money. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see them making more money than they do. It's great. But you can't then, for 364 days, take my money to build this billion dollar league and you know give it to the players and give it to the owners and give it to everybody and then on the day that something happens go actually sean you don't matter you don't you're yeah. cut out of the process this is a private thing that we're just doing over here no no it's it, this is again like i'm and and I, I understand i'm ranting about something that may be imaginary but uh you know because because this this situation may not even have played out the way we're describing it. But it did last year. And I said last year with the Islanders, this is dumb. And I asked people, like, what's going on? Explain to me. Because usually when I see something, even in the NHL, that strikes me as very dumb. Yep. And I then go to someone and go, like, what am I missing? And they'll tell me, like, you're, okay, here's what you might be missing. And I go, okay, so maybe now it's, I might not agree with it, but the people who run the NHL, the people who run the teams are not dumb. Um, This is just dumb. If this is what is happening and we're and 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 the league is so-called leadership is allowing this to happen, like there's no benefit to it for the Islanders. They're 10 million under the cap. They signed Nazem Kadri, they're still under the cap. There's no team out there that they're trying to like deal a bad contract to that's like, well, hey, you, you know, if you guys had Nazem Kadri, I'd charge you a first round pick, but you don't. So okay, it's a fourth round pick. Like that's not that's not a thing that's happening. Just put it out there, man. Yeah. And, and the other and, thing and preferably, I think of, Preferably right before one of my podcasts drops, so I got something to talk about. Right, yeah. Put it out midweek, Wednesday or Thursday for Sean. Yes. I I also think, though, if you're like, and I don't know the season ticket numbers for the Islanders, but I would assume that they're not one of these. Like, there would they would be one of those teams that need to get uh, their season ticket number up. I'm I'm guessing. Right? I mean, it's 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 a new like, arena, so maybe not. I mean, they're probably maybe all not, set. But, and, like, but you need a buzz, but certainly right, some counteract. optimism coming off a terrible right. season. Like it was cute last year when you know Lou Lamarella was the back-to-back GM of the year. Um, you know, I'm looking at we're we're going to get to it in a bit, but Dom's front office ratings. Uh, let's just say the Islanders have plunged down the list. So I, I think the 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 you know the the taller you know Lou Lamarello is is. He's cute and quirky when he's like making people shave their beards and everything, but he's winning you Stanley Cups or, you know, getting you deep into the playoffs. When he's not, this just feels like annoying, silly stuff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. You know, listen, speaking of Dom's 
uh, front office confidence rankings, those drop Thursday morning, as you as you mentioned. And you know, yeah, the Islanders took a beating. Nobody took a beating as much as the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights went from having the twelfth in terms of confidence rankings from the fans. They were twelfth a season ago. They've dropped to 31st. Like, you've basically yep. gone to the bottom of the road. Philadelphia, by the way, the only team to rank below Vegas. But you want a snapshot of how things have changed in a hurry in the desert? Check out Dom's confidence rankings and see uh, where Vegas is. Like, was there anything? And I just had a chance to read it here as we kind of got on the air here. Um, was there anything that surprised you? Like, you're like, wow, I can't believe that team ended up here or there. I mean the the two big ones that that surprised me just in terms of the drop were Vegas and the Islanders. I mean the Islanders dropped even further. They they were fifth last year. So a year ago we're all you know we were all in the cult of Lou big time. I mean, we're thinking these these you know the 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 Islanders are fantastic. They dropped all the way to twenty eighth. And, you know, there's an argument there that you look at, okay, the Islanders dropped and the Golden Knights dropped. This is just fans being reactive to what happened in the last season. You know, the Islanders were good for a few years, so there was confidence, and then they were bad, and so now there's a lack of confidence. And the Golden Knights, even more so. You could say there's a bunch of injuries, they missed the playoffs by a couple of points, and now suddenly they're all dummies. But um, it it does... Uh, it. The Vegas one is really interesting because yeah. you know, it, it's not just they missed the playoffs. And I, I don't I would hope that the Robin Leonard news isn't reflected in. I mean, the, the survey was going on as that was as that news was breaking. So uh, and you, you, you can't you wouldn't think blame a team for injuries, but they did. They moved on from Mark Andre Fleury. That didn't really work out. They the back Max Pacioretty uh, giveaway, essentially. Uh, Due to the cap, the the Evgeny Dodonov thing with you know with the not knowing about the no trade <laughs> right. didn't look good. But what's interesting to me is Vegas, like they have dropped, tw- you know whatever it was, twenty spots in the last year. The fan base, by the way, it's worse for the fan base. Don breaks out the public at large, and then the fan base. The fan base ranking is even worse for the Golden Knights than the public right. one. Ninety six percent of Vegas Golden Knight fans are less confident than they were a year ago. None of them are more confident than they were a year ago. And what's fascinating to me is in the last year, they pulled off the Jack Eichel trade. A year ago, remember, this, this a year right. ago was the right summer of Jack time, Eichel. Yeah. Who's going to get yeah. him? Who's going to get Jack Eichel? And the Vegas Golden Knights were the team that, that went out and made that happen. And yet nobody, not one of their fans, uh, you know, in, is is saying, I feel better about this team's front office after landing arguably the best player who'd been available in the trade market in the last five years. I I don't feel better about it, and and they almost all feel worse. That's really rough. And then the the fact that every, given everything we just said, that the Flyers are still behind. And the, I mean, the Flyers are 32nd. It is just D minuses across oh the board. Oh my god! Yeah, on every say, Dom has got six different subcategories, and a D minus is as low as you can go, and they are ranked D minus thirty first or thirty second in, <laughs> in every everything. Yeah. single category, which is is difficult. I mean, it's usually 
when you see a team, you know, you, you might say, hey, you know, they stink at trading, they stink at this, but at least they're good at drafting and developing. Or at least they've got, you know, they've been okay when it comes to free agency. The Philadelphia Flyers are just absolutely a mess. And, and I mean, you could point and say, well, you know, it's Philly, tough market. But the public, too. Just, you know, I'm looking at literally 13 oh. D minuses on this card. Um, it's it's absolutely brutal. You know, and, and on the flip side, there's a couple of teams that took some jumps or at, at the top that I think is interesting. The team I cover, the Ottawa Senators, they go from 21st to 8th, which yep. is a huge job. 97%, you, you talk about Vegas fans having less confidence. 97% of Ottawa fans have more confidence in the team year over year. Like that's yep. that's about as stunning of a turnaround as you can have. They get the Brinkett, they get uh Giroux, they get rid of Murray, they pick up Talbot, they do all these things that I think have injected optimism in the fan base. What what I want to ask you about though, and it's not surprising, Colorado won Tampa two. Those are your last three Stanley Cup winners. They met in the cup final last year. That's not a surprise. What I do want to ask you about is Detroit sitting at three for a second year in a row. Because yep. this is a team that hasn't had a sniff of the playoffs in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been languishing at the bottom of the standings, and yet there is this inherent trust in Steve Eiserman in the direction, and they're in love with him still. And I, I, I think they yep. had a great offseason. Trust me, they had a great offseason. But seeing Did Detroit they? third back-to-back years is, is remarkable to me. Yep. It's, it's the, uh, the Iser plan. It, I, I do not think they would rank this highly if it was anyone else other than Steve Eisman. Let's put it that way. And, you know, I, I've said for a couple of years, it's, uh, you know, he, he came into Detroit. He understood that he had time to work with because of who he was and his reputation and all the success he'd had in Tampa. He used that time. He was very patient. And I kept saying, like, at some point, don't they have to get better? They made their moves this summer. Um, I mean, you said they had a great summer. I thought they they had an okay summer. I mean, they, they spent a lot of money to bring in C plus and B minus pieces and, and you need those, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't look at Detroit right now as, as being much of a contender. Well, but we'll see. I could be wrong, but yeah, that like, I like, you know, like I thought getting Ville Husso was a shrewd move potentially. Uh, you know, I, I like what well, they got Andrew Kopp and Dave, uh, David Perron. Like, I thought they improved their team, like, in terms of being competitive. I mm-hmm. think they improved their team significantly, did they not? Or am I am I out to lunch on this? Maybe I'm I, I think I think they Maybe improved their team. This. I think a significant improvement on a team that's been lousy for years maybe gets you like, yeah, they improved significantly from complete afterthought to playoff bubble team if everything breaks right. And okay, save that okay. clip, by the way. When they're when they're yeah. beating the Leafs in the playoffs, oh man, save that clip and throw that back at. But, but I, I don't. I just, yeah, I, 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 I don't think if it's anyone other than Steve Eiserman, they rank that highly. Okay, I need your opinion on this because I do look at you as a um, neutral observer on this particular question. Mm-hmm. Who has a better season this year, Detroit or Ottawa? I think Ottawa's better positioned. Um, yeah, but it's it's it really is. You know, it's going to come down to who gets the goaltending, who gets, you know, all of this. I I, I put those two teams in the same group, um, which, yeah. you know, you could argue it's, you know, going back to Ottawa. Here's the thing that I found really interesting, um, because we've all heard about, you know, there was the summer of Pierre, summer of, and and look, I, not not to get 
not to get grim here, but I, I, you, you can't separate the massive jump in confidence in the senator's front office from the fact that we had change in ownership. Um, and yep. you know the the tragic situation with, with Eugene Melnick. Um, that's part of it. Like you know, this is this is front offices, which is GMs and scouts and all that. But ownership is a huge part of that, especially in Ottawa, where we had a very hands-on owner. Um, and and now it's it's a, an era of transition. We don't know quite to what, but that certainly feeds the optimism. But what I found interesting is, as I say, Dom splits it public and fan base. And the Ottawa Senators, uh, as ranked by the public, uh, A minus, fifth overall in the entire league, including an A minus in drafting, developing, an A in trading. That's the Alex Dabrinka trade, an A minus in free agency, um, B plus in, in vision, like all sorts of great marks. You look at the fan base, the fan base gives the Senators a B minus which is 17th, middle of the pack, including B-plus in drafting and developing, pretty good, but only a C-plus in trading, only a C-plus in free agency, um, a B-minus for the vision. This is interesting to me because I think most of these, you look down and you go, hey, you know, fans are fans. You would expect the fans to be more optimistic about a team, especially a team on the way up, which Ottawa clearly is, than, than the public at large, especially a team like Ottawa. It's a smaller market. Hey, you know, we all know the deal. We got to do 10 minutes of reporting about uh, Austin Matthews' new pair of shoes before we say anything about what the Senators are doing. You would expect the fan base to be the optimism and the public to maybe be not catching up. In this case, it feels like the public, like, you know, the fan base feels good, but the public has overshot the runway here and anointed the senators the offseason champions where the fan base is kind of going hold on a little bit here like we we're we we like what Pierre Dorian has done but we're not ready to anoint him an elite GM quite yet i, I tell you if they get a defenseman if they get Jake Chikrin or they get something like that i think the fan base is ready to anoint him uh with, with that but look i think it's, part of it is it's been such a terrible road here for 4 years 5 years mm-hmm. That um, it, you know, it's going to take time to build back that confidence and trust. Maybe that's, for some that's, people, and that's right? what I think is happening because yeah. you know, for the last let's say let's say four years, because they go to the conference final in 2017, they get Matt Duchesne the year after. Like we still think the Senators are a are a team that matters. And then for four years, if you're a fan of some other team, especially you know in the West or you know or down in the states, you just tune out on the Senators. You may not have thought about the Ottawa Senators yeah. for four years, except for like off ice crazy stuff that was going on. Um, you don't, you, you haven't paid any attention to any roster moves that they've been making other than trading away good players. And then this summer happens and they get to break it and they, you know, they get Giroux and you suddenly go, wow, this Pierre Dorian kid is great. And meanwhile, there's this fan base that has lived through the last four years and, you know, has lived through some of the, some of the stuff Pierre Dorian's done that just is going, hey, let's, we're happy. We're moving in the right direction, but pump the brakes a little bit uh, on maybe on this uh, Summer of Pierre stuff. Uh, I don't know. I just, I found that really interesting. I, you know, as I'm looking, that is, I think, the largest discrepancy that I've seen, um, certainly as far as the fan base being behind uh, the public at large. Yeah. And listen, we, we, we think that, I, I love that because it's a great... <clears throat> A uh, temperature check for almost every fan base going yeah. into a season. Let, let me make, good. can I make one other observation just yeah. real quick? It is the one other team that I found interesting is Chicago. 
way down at the bottom right of the at list. the bottom at 30 right if 30 I'm yeah like yeah. you know again and and again if, if if we look at this as being largely a proxy of just how a team is doing you would expect chicago to be way down there they're they're ranked 31st by the public 29th by the fan base is d plus from the from the fan base um and what i find interesting there is look we all know what's going on in chicago it's it's a tank it's a rebuild they are tanking. They are trying to finish last, get those good odds for, for Connor Bedard. Um, and usually when you see a team embrace that strategy, the fan base tends to go along with it. And the fan base tends to go, hey, we get what's happening. As long as it's communicated clearly, you know, we saw it in Buffalo, uh, you know, fans cheering for the team to lose and all of this stuff a few years ago when it was Connor McDavid. And the fact that Chicago ranks this low, I think some of it's probably you know, the leftover stain um, from from the last year. Um, but some of this, you know, if I'm Kyle Davidson, I'm sitting there going, look, I've been as clear and transparent as I can about what the deal is. That's supposed to buy me some time, right? Like you're a new GM, you come in, you're supposed to get, you know, if you, and you say, I'm going to tear it down to the studs. That's supposed to buy you a few years. And you look at these rankings. I don't know if if he's if he's getting that yet from the team. Obviously, if if they finish dead right. last and they get Connor Bedard, everybody will love the guy. But if not, boy, this is uh, this this is not a great look. Because remember, this is you know Seth Jones. That was the last GM. That that's not Kyle Davidson. You know the the moves he made, getting the you know he, he traded to Brinkett, but he got the three first round picks. He's done a lot of the things that a rebuilding tear it down team does, and yet he doesn't seem to be getting the benefit of the doubt from that fan base. No, not at all. And and look, there's, man, there's a lot to uh, un uh, kind of unpack with the Chicago organization, right? Like that that probably also uh, yeah. factors into to all of that. The other team, real quick, that really took a, a massive drop was Winnipeg, where Winnipeg mm-hmm. went from being a in in Dom's rankings a year ago being a, a top ten team in terms of uh, fan confidence to a bottom five team. And that was a, a pretty significant drop for the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, big drop for them, and a big drop for Boston too, which is um, interesting because you know, unlike all these other teams, Boston did make the playoffs last year. Um, I wonder if if we had uh, you know, and I think a lot of that is the coaching change. But uh, I wonder if we had done this a little bit later, and the news of the the, the Bergeron and uh, Krejci signings had. Uh, had come out if if that would feel a little bit better, but yeah, Winnipeg it it does feel like Kevin Shovel Day off is kind of you know remember he, this guy's been on the job for ten plus years now. Yeah, he's a, he's uh, a- usually you got to win something to to last that long, and uh, it's yeah the uh, D minus from the fan base for vision for this team, I think is really all you need to know. Uh- I I also want to hit on this because I look it's the end of August or middle of August and there's a significant hockey tournament being played right now that I don't think is getting the same type of traction that it normally does and that of course the World Junior Championship uh, taking place in Edmonton right now. Uh mm-hmm. if you watch the games on television you'll notice that the attendance is not what we're used to seeing with this tournament. Uh lots of empty seats. And look, there's, there's, when you talk to people, you talk to, let's say you talk to four different, five different people from Edmonton, how come you're not going? Um, you'll get four or five different answers. You'll hear, hey, the Hockey Canada scandal is disgusting. And until they uh, fix that, 
I'm not supporting this tournament. I've heard that from people. I've heard, hey, it's August. Uh, it's cottage time for for people. I'm not going to hockey. I'm not paying attention to hockey. I've heard the fact that the ticket prices are just ridiculously high. I think I up to about $200 per game for a Team Canada ticket. Um, people are saying, look, I, I don't have that money. I'm not going to do it. Um, the start times are a little bit weird, too, um, mm-hmm. because of the, they're catering to the Eastern audience and uh, start time at Edmonton. Maybe it's 5 o'clock or whatever, and the people are just saying, look, it doesn't work for me. Uh, I guess my question is, should there be some concern from Hockey Canada, the IIHF, that maybe the appetite for this tournament is um, different, or is this a complete one-off because it's in yeah. August, or is there something? I, is I there think, something I here? think all those factors you listed uh, add up to the point where you can just kind of throw your hands up on this one and say, we, you know, we didn't know how it was going to be received. It was a unique situation, um, but clearly it's 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 not where I, I don't know. I haven't seen what the the TV ratings look like. I would yeah, assume that they're not not great, um, but certainly you know the fans in Edmonton. Edmonton's a great sports town. It's 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 not it's not on those fans. Um, you know, look if especially if you're down in the states, uh, you probably cannot appreciate how much in the last 25 years or so the World Juniors has become a core part of the calendar up here in in Canada where it's it's been marketed so well that it's i mean literally you you open the presents on Christmas morning and now it's boxing day and it's time to go on the on the world juniors and you know you get the you that week between Christmas and New Year's tournament kicks off New Year's Eve there's usually a big matchup it's a lot of times it's the that that's where they'll put either the Canada US or the Canada Russia game um and then into January for the playoffs it's it's become so ingrained in us it, and then you flip it to August. I mean, there is there is nothing more different than you know waking up Christmas morning, going World Junior time versus looking out and it's August, and you know we're all we're all sweating to death. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it TSN it, it has done a masterful job promoting and marketing this tournament over the years, um, and that's hurting them now because they've marketed as so much associated with with one time. I mean, it'd be like. It'd be like the NFL trying to do their Thanksgiving games, but do them in March for some reason. Like you're just going like this isn't this isn't how it goes. You know, I I want to be watching these games with Turkey and my family and, you know, all of that. You put them on in March. It's not the same thing. And I think it's it's kind of like that. If you're Hockey Canada, certainly you're worried about this, this ongoing scandal, uh, the ongoing controversy and, and, and the beating you're taking from a PR perspective, rightfully so. Is that a factor here? I, I think if you if you want to, you can probably shrug that off and say, like, you know, if you want to live in denial and say, you know, well, we don't know, maybe it's it's more the timing. I think that is a factor. I, I think certainly if I was on the fence, uh, going, eh, you know what, do we want to go? Do we want to get over to a game? Do we want to pay that money? I'm looking at that Hockey Canada logo on the ticket, going, no, I don't, no, I don't want my money going to this. Um, but yeah. I, I think it's just it's just the timing of it. Look, man, it's. It's a mess, and it was one thing to get, you know, the, the, you know, to have the NHL do the bubble two years ago, and you know that was weird. But we all got into it because because it was the NHL, and it was the Stanley Cup. This, I mean, even even a lot of the best players aren't at this tournament. It just, it 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 just it's it's not there, and it's you know like any World Juniors. If Canada goes deep and goes to the gold medal game, we'll we'll pay attention to some extent, but. I don't see it anywhere else. You, Team USA got knocked out last night. I saw one yeah. tweet. I saw one tweet on my whole timeline, even mentioning it. Um, 
and and otherwise I, I probably wouldn't even know. Yeah, I always say to American fans that the World Junior Tournament around Christmas is our equivalent of March Madness. Yes. Right? Like like Yeah, that's it's, that's the right example. Yeah. Right? Like and, and it's a it's a it's a short tournament with with amateur athletes and we all go crazy for it. And but what would happen if March Madness was in late October and you'd be like, I you know, it would feel yeah. off to you because you it would associate yeah. it with the start of spring and like just different uh, And remember different when they Yeah. Two years ago when they canceled the you know, which was really I remember in, in 2020, that was the first thing that really made me go, holy smokes, this pandemic is a very, very big deal when they canceled yeah, March Madness. March Madness. But they canceled it. They didn't say, you know, we're gonna do it in August. They didn't say we're gonna hold, we're gonna wait. You know, back then we still thought pandemic was gonna be, you know, maybe only a month. They didn't say, you know, we're gonna delay it. They just canceled it outright. Partly, yeah. I think, because they understood that like it's if it's not in March, it's not March Madness. And I'm glad they did the tournament. You know, I remember I remember when it, you know, remember last year it got started and then, you know, they had to shut it down. And I remember thinking like it, boy, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad. It's too bad for the kids, too bad for, for everyone. And when they said, you know, we're going to do it in the summer, I thought, okay, great. But it just, it isn't clicking for people. No, no, exactly. And so it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I've been looking for the television. I haven't seen anything on the TV numbers. I think the one that's going to be interesting is the gold medal game. If Canada gets to the gold medal game. We have seen the television numbers. I think uh, a couple of years ago, the number peaked at about seven and a half million Canadians tuning in. I'm curious, do we get to even oh, half of that? So we'll Ti- see. No, no way. Tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no buzz here at all. It's uh, uh, look. I mean, everyone's doing the best they can with it, but no, I'd, I'd be, I'd be stunned if, uh, if the numbers were anywhere near that. And and like I said, look, it's a quiet time on the uh, on the hockey calendar. Uh, usually, we're not conditioned for this, but what we are conditioned for in the quiet times of the season in the off season are some some zany down goes Brown columns. Okay, which is mm-hmm. all of them. But but I loved your one this week because I, I think this is this will make for some fun podcast fodder because um, every fan base can kind of weigh in on this on, on where their team would rank. And you did a column basically, hey. What if we try to reconstruct rosters for every franchise in the NHL, make a starting lineup of three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie, and the caveat being the player had to have two tours of duty with that team. Like Mark Messier being the first guy that comes to most people's minds, right? Because Messier played with the the Rangers. He left. Boy, we'll have to ask Canucks fans where he went in between. I think he just. He, I think he just did a three-year. He, uh, he, he went just away, backpacked across Europe, and exactly he went. He went some, to live on a farm uh, upstate, and then came yeah, back. yeah. <laughs> did some Lay's commercials and came back. Yeah, and that's right. Um, the pylons. Yeah, and, and so uh, you know, you're like, hey, what franchise could ice the best starting lineup of players who came back for a second tour of duty? This, I mean. I know a lot of your columns take a ton of um, you know research and time. Um, I'm man, I'm, I'm I tip my hat to you because you got to be thorough on this one. Like you, it's easy that you could have an oversight and miss a guy, right? I missed one guy in Craig Conroy for the Flames, and I've been, their Flames fans are not letting me hear the end, of it, which is <laughs> always the nightmare here. But yeah, and to be clear, when I say a guy came back, I'm saying he has to have played for your team. He has to play for another NHL team, and then he has to come back and play for your team again. So we're not talking like Mario Lemieux retiring and then coming back. That doesn't count. 
we're not talking guys who you know left and then got reacquired immediately or guys that you traded as a prospect who came back like Peter Forsberg for the Flyers doesn't count because he never played for the Flyers before he left um and uh but that still gives us a ton of guys and uh yeah I went through I it, usually with these things I do about a dozen teams and then I turn it over to the comments and, you know, people try to, to fill in the rest of them. And I, I try to get a mix of like the, the old time teams, the, the newer teams. And uh, it was interesting. It was it was kind of a fun exercise to go through. Uh, so you kind of settled on at the end of your column, you settled on three teams that you're like, you know what? I think these teams ice the best lineup. And that was the Oilers, the Flyers and the Ducks. I got the yeah. best line. You always have you, you always have the great one liners. Um, in your columns, <laughs> the line. I just want to make sure I get the right. Okay, yeah, I have it here because I wanted to make sure I had it right. Where you looked at the Flyers and the number of goalies who have come back for a second tour of duty, duty in Philly, it's, it's impressive. It's Ron Hextall, it's Bernie Perron, uh, you know, even Pete Peters, Brian Boucher, and you said we did it, everyone. We found the one roster exercise where the Flyers have the best goaltending. There it I'm is. Like, that's that's it, man. All Mike you Flyers fans who are with no confidence yeah. in your front office, at least we finally found it. Yeah. The Flyers have the best goaltending as long as we're only counting guys who left and came back. Uh, and yeah, the, the Flyers end up being uh, a pretty good team, certainly based on the goaltending. But up front, they've got uh, Mark Recchi, who shows up on a couple of these rosters. Uh, Rick McLeish and, and Rick Tockett, two real good players. The blue line's okay. Kerry Hoffman and Shell Samuelson, not bad. You know, two two very solid defensemen. And Bernie Perrant in goal, although, you know, again, you could put Ron Hextel in there, but you, you got to go with the Hall of Famer. That's a solid lineup. I like that team a lot. Um, the other two, and, I, you know, I'll just uh, read, them, read them off to you. The Edmonton Oilers, they love bringing guys back from the dynasty. So you had to figure they'd be good. So they've got their forwards. They've got Glenn Anderson. They've got Peter Klima. And then they got Ryan Smith. Remember, he left uh, in free agency, yeah. that weird situation, and he did end up coming back uh, for a second tour of duty. Blue line, you've got <sighs> Hall of Famer Kevin Lowe, uh, who did did come back to Edmonton, and then Marty McSorley. And I've often said, Marty McSorley, man, people remember him as like some sort of enforcer, and he was, but Marty McSorley was a good player. He was a yeah. real good player. And in goal, they got Bill Ranford, who came back. And that, you know, that's a Conn Smythe winner right there so that's a solid lineup and then the, the one that was maybe my favorite you was the, the ducks. Anaheim Ducks yeah because they just fit like whenever I come up with an idea like this it's always like you know I sit down I'll usually go through a couple of teams just as proof of concept just make sure it's going to work and then you know when I sit down to actually do it there's always a couple of teams that surprise me and, and the Ducks were that team that like they just seem to fit the idea Perfectly, because I'm going to read you this lineup and every single one of these guys in my mind is a duck. And yet I can also picture them going somewhere else and coming back. So Anaheim Ducks forwards, Timo Solani, obviously, you know, arguably, you know, either he or Messier, probably the best player in this entire exercise. Uh, Joffrey Lupel, classic guy, you know, goes and comes back. And then Dustin Penner, you know, famously, we we remember the circumstances where he left. and uh, he ended up coming back. The defenseman, Francois Beauchemin, had two tours of duty. Oleg Tverdovsky, classic early Anaheim Duck guy. Yeah. And then the goalie, Ilya Brzgalov, 
had a second, you know, returned, came back to Anaheim after leaving with the big uh, contract with Philadelphia. I just love that group. To me, that's six Anaheim Ducks slash Mighty Ducks. And yet each one of them, you're like, yeah, I remember them leaving. And I remember them coming back. Man, yeah, I think those are so the, I don't know the which three of those best teams. Three. And, yeah. and, and then the other team that I just, I have to give a hat tip to, and, you know, especially since we were, we were talking about the guy earlier in the show, Lou Lamorello in New Jersey. Man, oh, did he oh, love reacquiring bringing those guys back. forwards, okay? Because here's the thing. The, the reason I don't have the Devils as a contender here, they're, they're defensemen, the best two I could come up with with Tommy Albaline and Mark Fraser, fine. Uh, the goalie was Chris Terreri, decent backup. You know, real good backup in the Broder years. He he had a couple tours of duty. But listen to these forwards, okay? For the New Jersey Devils, you're going to pick three forwards out of this group. Brendan Shanahan, Hall of Famer. Scotty Gomez, real good player. Bobby Holik, Claude Lemieux, yep. Jason Arnott, Brian Rolston, Peter Sikora, Stefan Riche, Alexander McGillney. Like, at some point, yeah, it's, it's a top like, was nine. Lou doing this on purpose? Yeah. Like, was he just... Maybe that's the holdup on Nazem Kadri. Maybe Lou's like, look, we're going to sign you. Then we're going to trade you. And then we're going to reacquire you. Because you're a good forward and I have to lose and then reacquire you. Like, Lou Lamarillo loves to recycle forwards and coaches. Because Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson would, you know, take turns coaching that team too for a while there. Uh, doesn't do it with defensemen and goalies too much. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, uh, work anyone in there. I wasn't counting these stupid like one day contract retire yeah, as a member blah blah like yeah. yeah. I'm not putting Martin Brodeur on the team just because he, you know, came back as a consultant or whatever, but uh, you got to give a special hat tip to Lou Lamorello for this because man, he he loved doing it with forwards. Um yeah. Anyway, so we'd love to hear from uh listeners too if you, if you didn't weigh in on the comment section on uh, Sean's column, uh, you can, by all means, uh, hit us up in the comment section of this podcast. Let us know if you think that there's a team other than Philly, Edmonton, Anaheim that that had the second tour duty guy that uh, or lineup that uh, yep. was uh, was was maybe the best. And um, and I did not do this just so that I could build a oh, Leafs lineup Wendell. around Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark. Yeah, but exactly. If it turned out that way, you know, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to fight it. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, hey, listen, it is uh, the middle of August, which means it's vacation time for a lot of people, including our pal, uh, Jesse Granger. So usually we get Jesse to drop in for Granger things uh, brought to you by BetMGM, uh, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. However, uh, uh, Jesse's off this week. Uh, Well-deserved uh, a little downtime for him. Uh, but we've got tons of questions in the mailbag. I'll tell you what, why don't we pick a handful of them here? Um, we love to hear from our listeners. In fact, we had so much fun doing those back-to-back shows where we just answered your um, kind of uh, you know questions you're afraid to ask. Um, we're even thinking about in the fall we might we might kind of fold that back in on on a more regular basis. A reminder: yeah. at all times you can reach us at uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Hit us up any question. We love to to tackle these. You can also leave us a voicemail at eight four five four four five. 
8459. Tell you what, let, let me let me read a couple of them here. Uh, Paul writes in. And Paul says, look, I was at a hockey game recently. One of the players scored a hat trick. Uh, but what made this hat trick interesting is they scored a shorthanded goal, an even strength goal, and a power play goal. Um, I know that that's not the first time it's ever happened in a game, but we know that we have the Gordie Howe hat trick, which is a goal, an assist, and a fight, a natural hat trick in which a player scores three consecutive goals. Uh, but I've been racking my brain and looking on the web uh, for a name to describe a hat trick that includes a shorty, an even strength goal, and a power play goal. Are there any names for this that comes in from Paul? Yeah, and and no, there's not, at least nothing that I've heard that catches on. And, uh, you know, because it, it, that's that, that's an interesting achievement because it means you are playing on the power play and shorthanded, which an awful lot of players these days don't do. Um, yep. You know, obviously when you hear what Paul's describing, what comes to mind is the, is the Mario Lemieux five goals, five ways, uh, where he yeah. did... He had five goals, shorthanded, even strength, power play, uh, penalty shot, and empty netter, which, uh, and uh, that was back in, what, the late, late 80s. 88, when, I think. I, was I feel like that power. was like a New Year. was that a New Year's Eve game? Oh, you know, like, it could have been. Or, or like right around, like, I don't know why. In my mind, I feel like Mario yeah. did that at the end of December one year. But So that was, that like, was huge. And, you know, that, uh, I don't even think it has a. Has a name, but uh, uh, you know, other than just the the five goals, five ways, the Mario, and and I've said before, and I I think it was maybe even on this show. One thing I'm really looking forward to is at some point in our lifetime, if you think about that Mario Lemieux, five goals, five ways, you can score all five types of those goals without scoring five goals, right? Because empty netter goals and penalty shot goals can be on the power play; they can be shorthanded. At some right. point, we're going to have somebody score the five ways, but do it with four or even three goals. Yeah. At which point, that fan base is going to go, hey, he just did the Mario Lemieux. And everyone yeah. else is going to be like, no, he didn't. And we're going to have, oh, man, that's going to be a fun fight, especially if it's, you know, depending on who the player is. But when say, when they're like, no, no, they, the, he had three goals. And then the empty net goal was on the power play. So that's it, you know, five goals or four goals, five ways. It's the same thing. And, and people are just going to flip out. And, and, you know, Penguin fans who, you know, I'm not on great terms with right now after last week, but that's that's cool. We're mending fences. Um, Penguin fans are going to, you know, batten down the hatches and, and fight for their guys. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that as a future controversy. But in the meantime, no, I, I, I don't have a great name for this. This is one where, you know, maybe we get some suggestions from the from the listeners. Power play, shorthanded, even strength goal. I don't know. Yeah. Who's like, uh, you know, I'm thinking of like a great two-way player. You, you know, you almost want to name it after. Because uh, it, it'd be the thing like, like you know, famously, the Gordie Howe hat trick is not something that Gordie Howe himself did all that often. It was other players who, who did it far more often. But I wonder what the... Uh, I wonder who would even lead in this category. You know what? I'm gonna, all right. You start talking. I'm going into stat head. We're doing okay, it. Okay, you're going to go. I was, I, was, I was about to go into stat head myself and I'm gonna look see up on the Game Finder pick. app um, yeah, and, and look it up. Finder. You know, okay, right. I'm going I'm to talk a little bit while you, uh, while you, uh, you know, research to see if we can figure out who's got the most shorties, uh, hat tricks that include a shorthanded goal, even strength and a yep. power play goal. All right. I've often thought to myself, too, 
there is only one way in which you could theoretically surpass the Lemieux goal. It, and, and, and listeners can tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong on this. Um, but theoretically, I guess you could score a goal six different ways if you do what Lemieux did and score even strength, power play, shorthanded, uh, penalty shot, empty net. You would need to add a shootout goal. But it would be oh, almost yeah. Im- almost impossible to do if you put an empty netter in, right? Like the, yes. the odds of you mm-hmm. scoring an empty net goal and that game requiring uh, overtime is, is I, small. But I there is a this. chance the, of it, right? The, the, it it's, could happen. It's only happened once in history that a team has been up by a goal, scored an empty net goal to go up by two, and the other team has scored two. To tie. It was just a couple of years ago. It was the Capitals and, and Sharks, I think. Now, there are other types of empty net goals. You can have those goals where a team scores on themselves and you get credit yep. for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Plus the fact that, you know, you'd have to have a shootout in a game where one team scored at least five goals, which that, you know, we very rarely see. Would you count an overtime goal as a separate? I don't think you would. But, Yeah. No. Yeah, anyway. So And then man, you need anyway, to get the seventh goal, which is the empty net. The other team throws their stick and you are awarded a goal. Awarded a goal, yeah. It. Yeah. That'll that'll be impressive. Anyone ever gets the seven goals seven ways, I will uh, I will absolutely be impressed. Okay, so now did and I if I rag- sound like I'm stalling here, it's because Stathead is taking a long time to I was gonna say, on, did man, I rag not- rag the puck no. long enough? No, keep going. Uh, for you uh, because okay, and, and for our listeners, so Stathead is a subscription website. Just so people know, that is part of the hockey reference uh, umbrella. You got to pay extra for Stathead, but it is amazing because it's. I, I would say seventy percent of the research I do comes from Stathead, like uh, or a good chunk of it, at least half of it anyway. Like um, able to find out, and so you're able to go through and find single games that have, like, match uh, certain criteria. So you could look for a game that say, hey, has anybody scored a hat trick in a game in which they had, you know, 15 minutes in penalties? Or, you know, whatever. Like, whatever parameters you want to put in. So what Sean's trying to do now is see, can I find who's got the most games ever with minimum three goals in which at least uh, two of those goals came in special teams? One power play, one penalty kill. Um, yeah, and I got that's I got the going list to be now. the ch- okay. It's so going to shock you. You're going to be blown away who the top two players are. Are, are you being facetious here? Yes, one hundred percent. Okay, it's Mario so Lemieux it, and it's Wayne. Mario, Gretzky. right? Yeah, Mario's done it Mario. eight times. Gretzky's done it six. Uh, the next two guys, this is, this is kind of interesting. Phil Esposito. So again, I mean, we're we're just kind of listing legendary offensive players. Uh, Bernie Nichols is the other guy who has done it uh, four times Ber- or more. What was Bernie Nichols doing killing penalties? This it was the 80s, man. He did it. Uh, <laughs> and and actually, what's interesting here is he did it twice in a week in 1983, then 87, and then one more time in 95. So if you're thinking with, you know, Bernie Nichols, we all think of that crazy 70-goal, 150-point season. But it, it, he didn't it even wasn't do it that year. It wasn't just him racking it up oh during my. that era. Um, like, and then here's okay. the next. Here, here's the guy. The only other guys, again, according to Stathead, that have done it at least three times. Brandon Shanahan. Okay. Brett Hull. A little bit surprising. Not a guy you think of as a penalty killer. But, uh, you know, back then you would, you know, throw your offensive guy out there. And then here's the guy. Maybe this is the guy we need to name it after. Petri Skriko. 
How is that Skrigo, for The Vancouver Canucks Petri Skrigo. Three times, and he did it three times in just over a calendar year. He did it November 1985, and then in 1986, he did it, again, twice in a week. He did it on the 21st and the 26th, and that's it. That's the, the only times that he did it. But he had, th- so I don't, is it a, is it a Skrigo hat trick? A Skrig trick? I don't know how yeah, you... Uh, I, yeah, I was thinking, how, yeah, how can we... Played, pun, he played pun nine that years. Classic 80s guy, because you're like, oh, I vaguely remember him, and then you see that he had like four straight 30-goal seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, he did it. Uh, and now I'm looking down the list. A bunch of guys have done it twice, uh, uh, including uh, Mika Zibanejad among act- active players and Sebastian Ajo have both done it twice. Uh, Antoine Vermette, Danny Heatley, a couple names for uh, for you there. Yuri Curry, only twice. Because that's a guy I thought may, I, might be way up yeah. there. Because he, you know, he was the defensive conscious of, of that team. And then, interestingly, I'm not seeing, of guys who did it multiple times, like I haven't seen Peter Forsberg, I haven't seen Sergei Fedorov, I haven't seen Doug Patrice, Gilmore. Like those, Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron, like, yeah. Like I'm going to... Matt, Fedorov would have been the guy I would have thought would be up there, right? Like Okay, uh, according to this, it does not look like Patrice Bergeron has ever done it. Sergei Fedorov has done it once. Uh, I do not see Doug Gilmore. I do not wow. see Peter Forsberg. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see a bunch okay. of the guys that we would consider great two-way players. Very interesting that, uh, and and part of that is you know the era of the great two-way player kind of. I don't want to say it started in the you know in the night, but like Fedorov and Forsberg and those sorts of guys. Um, at the same time that scoring drops down and you, you see fewer Patrick's, fewer goals scored in general. But yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of guys. Gordy Howe did it once. Maurice Richard did it once. Um, Bobby Orr did it once. That's, I, I don't know for sure, the only defenseman. Bobby Clark. Uh, so, you know, there there are some some names popping up that that you would expect to see. But interestingly, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of offensive players and, and you know, a handful of other defensemen there. Jeremy Roenick has one. But not a lot of the guys that you might consider the legendary two-way players of their era. All right, so it is the Petri Skrico pulling a Skrico. Scre- you know, Skrico. Yep. We're gonna call it the Skrico. Um, man, I'm bl- you know I just looked this up. As it's got to be. Speaking. It's got to be. It's got to be the Petric, right? Yeah, the Petric. Exactly the Petric. Petric. Okay, there we go. There we go. The Petric. Petri Skrico score even strength, shorthanded, and power play. So. I'm looking this up. I without looking. How many shorthanded goals did Bernie Nichols score in his career? If you had to ballpark it. Oh boy. I mean, there were a lot more back then. <sighs> the record in the season was eight for anyone. He played a lot of years. Just kind of I'm gonna say thirty. Yeah, you're yeah, twenty eight. Oh well, wow, twenty eight. Okay. Like you're 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 pretty much bang on. Yep. Like that twenty eight times. Bernie Nichols scored a shorthanded goal. Like, if you had asked me before this podcast, did Bernie Nichols even kill 28 penalties? I'd be like, yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, but so here's the thing. Like, Bernie Nichols scored as many shorthanded goals in his career as Guy Carboneau did with Montreal. Wow. Is that is that not strange to you? Like, yep. I, that's I just surprising. Like, yeah. Guy Carboneau scored 28 shorthanded goals with Montreal in 13 seasons with the Habs. That's Hall um, of Fame. Scored, scored five other ones uh, with Dallas. But 
Here's you, one. Okay. Not to, not to jump in on you here, but how many shorthanded goals do you think Bob Gainey scored? Bob Gainey? The ultimate uh, defensive. The ultimate penalty forward. killer. Uh, yeah. I mean, if Guy Carboneau scored. So I'll say 25. He scored 20. Doesn't that seem that, strange? Like, wouldn't hey, you think Bob Gainey many- would? Okay, without looking, now I'm going to look this up because okay. you brought this, is, this guy's name up. Who's this podcast is going to go for another four hours. It's yeah, going to be folks, us going we'll, down. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, we'll, yeah. yeah. Like, now I need to know who scored more shorthanded goals, Bob Gainey or Brett Hull? I, it I is. Feel like, I feel like this. Okay, I'm going to look it up right now. Holy smokes. It's the same number. Wow. B- Brett Hull scored 20 shorthanded goals. I lo- I'm looking at Brett Hull and he scored... 18 of them for with St. Louis and then two only two more for the entire rest of his career. Yeah. You know, because but, again, like back then, especially, and I think the way you can explain Bob Gainey is, you know, if if you're the Montreal Canadiens in the 70s, oh, we got a penalty? Yeah. Well, we're still sending Guy Lafleur out there and Steve Schott. Then, you know, we're going to. Yeah. We're going to send the uh, good luck. Uh, now, I guess we'll be even for uh, uh, for a game. But that yeah. is. Uh, yeah, okay. Man, that's that's the, pretty the, amazing. Yeah, okay, so this is fertile ground for the next time you do one of your evil trivia, like, uh, mm-hmm. which of these players scored the most career shorthanded goals? And just be like, yep. Bernie Nichols, Guy Carboneau, and Bob Gainey, or whatever, like, you know. And I had, find- to, look up, I had to look up Dave Reed, because I remember him getting eight with the he, Leafs. He's also have, 28. He's in the Did Dave Reed have club. 14 one year, or am I making that up? I That, uh, no. In one year? Four- Did Dave no. Reed have 14 power- shorthanded he- goals in one year? Or am I? No, he had. Uh, or did he? he have, had, what did he do? Did he get a hat, shorthanded hat trick or something? One. He may have done something, but I remember he had. Uh, he he had the eight. Uh, he led the league with eight one year with the Leafs, and it was you know back when the Leafs stunk, so we kind of hung on to anything that we could. But yeah, oh, I don't man. know for some reason. Like, yeah, that's geez. a good listener question. When it sends us down that kind of <laughs> rabbit hole, yeah, that is an A plus question by Paul. All right, real quick, well, let's do a couple of other ones here. Uh, Olivier writes in and says, uh, if you remove the fair play aspect of this, is there anything that would actually prevent a team from scoring a goal early in a hockey game to go up one nothing, And then for the rest of their game, they would simply, <laughs> I'm laughing as I say this, uh, clog up their net with the goalie and the five skaters basically just standing in front of the net. Um... Also, just wondering, could a could a team have a sumo wrestler type backup goalie for these exact situations and make the job easier for everybody else that comes in from Olivier? Uh, in theory, uh, yeah, you could. Uh, let's let's take the sumo goalie first. Uh, yeah, the net's six feet wide, so you need a real big dude to cover six by four. Even if you put him on his side or whatever, uh, I don't. Uh, at at some point. I'm not sure that really works, especially since goalies are six foot seven these days. Anyways, uh, I think. But uh, but you I, remember I think- it it was the Islanders owner, Charles Wong, who actually um, and I think Garth Snow would have been the general manager. He went to Garth Snow and said, have you ever considered using a sumo wrestler as a goalie? Do you remember this? I, you know, vaguely. <laughs> Yeah, vaguely. Vaguely, this should have yeah. been the lead of your book, the history yeah. <laughs> of Down Goes Brown's history of hockey. Yeah. Um, Charles Wong, actually, as the owner of the Islanders in the whatever years he owned the team with Sanjay Kumar, like in the two, early 2000s, there, um, 
went to Garth Snow and said, have you examined the idea of using a sumo wrestler as a goalie? Yeah. Um, like, and, and Garth Snow said, no, I just wore sh- shoulder pads that <laughs> exactly, made me as maybe, big yeah. as it. I'm looking at this. There is a YouTube video in which a, a channel called Sports Science put a sumo goalie in goal. And so you can go watch that and see why that would why not that be doesn't work. They prove that it doesn't work. Now, as far as throwing five players in the net, again, yes, you could do that. And maybe there's a way you could kind of Tetris everybody in. Uh, you know, I I don't know if you could do it like off the opening faceoff. I, I will admit I don't know if, you know, you have to have some sort of formation off the faceoff. I don't think so. Um, but again, I, it's not going to be effective because the other team's going to just get the puck down there. They're going to, first of all, they're going to be blasting slap shots at players who, you know, aren't wearing goalie equipment. And they're going to have, there's going to be rebounds. There's going to be spots. And, and also remember, you, the one thing you cannot do, and sometimes new fans ask this, is, hey, you could pull a goalie for an extra attacker. Can you pull an attacker for an extra goalie and put two goalies in there? You cannot do that. Only one goaltender at a time. That means only one player has a right to wear goalie equipment. Only one player has the protection of a goalie. Which means if you stick five skaters in the crease, I'm going to shoot the puck at one of those guys, and then I'm going to go dig him right into the net with the puck under him because he doesn't have the all the goalie interference rules don't apply to him. He's just a guy in the crease. He's a defenseman. Um, I, I it it would not be effective, but you could do it. And we see team like we see very very low levels versions of this sometimes in the dying seconds where you know. You do see all five guys piled into the crease. Yeah. And it's just chaos rules out there. But no, as a strategy, there's nothing in the rule book to stop you, but it it would not work. I, all I'm thinking when you said, let's try and Tetris all the players in, I could see them. It's not fitting. Somebody said yeah. Nathan Gerby out here. We got yeah. it's, it's <laughs> exactly. just, we got to fit yeah. this the in. One piece that yeah. we need is not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Hey, okay. I got to read one more here from Larry because a few weeks ago we, we talked about. Uh, arena stadium food and concession stuff and i basically made a comment in which i said you know pretzels if you really think about it are just pieces of bread with salt on it that you sometimes dip in mustard but anyway uh larry says hey just a quick word in unless i miss something while you guys were talking about stadium foods um and talking about nachos uh, um i heard you denigrate the great pretzel for being bread that is simply boiled and dipped in stuff. Did I get that right? Uh, that's even forgetting that a nice salted pretzel or cinnamon pretzel can be good on its own without a dip. I would argue this makes it a better in-arena snack since you can eat it with one hand and not get your hands dirty. We, the pretzel lovers of America, urge caution in your insults of this great arena slash mall snack. That comes in. From Larry and I, I guess was I was I too hard on pretzels by saying no. if you just think about it, it's a piece of bread with road salt on it no. that you dip into mustard. Maybe which if you explain road, it that way, the road seems salt weird. might have been yeah. The road yeah, maybe salt, the road salt was, uh, but yeah. no, no. Like uh, look, Larry. Hey, I'm I'm at that stage in my life. I, everyone can like what they like. I'm good with it. Larry wants to defend the pretzel. He wants to sit down and enjoy a pretzel. That's great, Larry. You can have my pretzel. I'll trade you for some nachos, but don't act like nachos and pretzels are in the same category right uh you know and he's calling nachos a snack of bread that is fried and dipped and stuff first of all it's not bread they're corn chips and you know that that's it's it's that's a stretch i gotta call you on that larry like let's not the the noble nacho 
hey man, you can like what you like without denigrating what I like, and and let's not let's not <laughs> act like like a good nacho, a good stale Maple Leaf Gardens nacho chip that you're eating in 1988 that was made in 1984 is is the same, yeah, as a pretzel. It's just not. Oh man. Okay, we'll leave it there. Hopefully, we didn't just poke the what, what did Larry say? Pretzel lovers of America. I know. Um, I don't need the pre- I don't need those people writing letters. Don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, getting all salty with us here. All right, uh, wrap oh it up God. with a little. Yeah, oh. that was terrible. That was bad. Uh, this week in hockey history, uh, we're just gonna do one of them here because this is a big trade that happened this week in 1996. Chicago Blackhawks traded Jeremy Roenick to the then Phoenix Coyotes in exchange for Alexi Zamnov and a first-round pick. Uh, that first-round pick, by the way, a guy named Ty Jones who only played 14 games in the NHL. So really, this came down to Ronick for Zamnov. I ask you this, Sean. Now some quarter of a century later, who won that trade? Ronick for Zamnov. This week in 1996. You know what? It's a, it's a fair question. Um, you know, Alexi Zamnov was really good. He was one of those guys that, you know, he's an underrated 90s guy. Um, you know, Roenick, I still feel like was, you know, he was a special player. I I, I might give the edge to, to Arizona there. But that that was one of those trades where, you know, back in those days, and you see a lot of trades like like that um back then, where if a team had to trade a star player, and if I remember right, I don't know if it was a salary dispute or or Roenick wanted out of Chicago, but like this wasn't a pure hockey trade, if I remember correctly. There, there was a reason that, that Jeremy Roenick was, was being traded away. But rather than doing what teams do these days, which is, oh, I have to trade a star player, give me draft picks, give me prospects, I'm rebuilding, teams would go out and try to get another yeah. good player. And, and, you know, in this case, they also got the first round pick. So, you know, it was a bit of a, there was an element of future assets, but they would go and try to get another good player. and. Alexi Zhamnov was a real good player. And, and yet, you, you know, you've got the numbers here. Six years, 380 points for Ronick. Eight years, 420 points for Zhamnov. Pretty comparable. Alexi Zhamnov yeah. was a good player. Yeah, he was. Like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a weird one because, man, it's, it's, a, it's actually, in hindsight, it's a pretty fair trade. Like, I know we sometimes yeah. talk about, like, what's the most fair trade in NHL history, even trade? People all, often talk about a Ginla for Neuendijk because it kind of worked out for both sides. I would mm-hmm. argue Ronick for Zhamnov seems like it. Kind of was the same for both teams. I mean, certainly like, if, if if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and and the Hawks, you know, sort of didn't have much of a choice in moving him, they did okay. You know, they did. They, they in fact they did more than okay. Now the flip side would be this was so this was '96. All right, the the Blackhawks don't win another playoff series for over a decade. They don't win another playoff series until the Kane and Taves era starts. So. You know, Jamnov was was very productive on teams that weren't very good. So you could argue, you know, maybe they should have done the futures trade and just give us picks and prospects and and that sort of thing. But Lexi Jamnov, real good player uh, for and you know you get eight years of a guy who's basically your number one center. Um, hard to argue. Yeah, but you know what? I now look forward to a future down goes Brown column. Uh, is Alexei Zhamnov a top five all-time redheaded player in the NHL? Oh boy. All right. So who do we got? Right? We got Claude Giroux. Lanny McDonald, right? Lanny McDonald. Am yeah. I right on am I right yep. on Lanny McDonald? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, red mustached. I mean, least, red so mustache. Yeah, he's gotta be uh, there. Yeah. 
Uh, so Lanny McDonald, Claude Giroux. Yeah. Although what's funny when I think of Claude, all the like, flyers, you know who I think of right away. First guy I think of is redheaded, but you're gonna laugh at this is Mike Commodore. And I, I don't oh think wow, he, yeah, yeah. He, you know what? But it's because of count. the hair, right? He did it's because yeah. of the yeah. hair. That's right, man. Like can, Kevin, okay. Kevin Constantine is our coach. <laughs> Yeah, can we put together a starting just a starting lineup? I, like, is there a goalie, redheaded goalie? I feel like the Boy. guy the Flames drafted years ago. They drafted this Leland Irving kid. Do you remember this? Like in the first no. round, I'm like, I feel like that guy was a redhead. I know because I'm I like, don't. I remember I was. I think I covered the draft. I'm like, this guy looks like Napoleon Dynamite. Like, wow. I, I feel like I feel like he was a redhead, but I could be wrong on that. Okay. This okay. is yeah. We're gonna starting have, no, lineup. Oh, um, uh, Corey Schneider. Wasn't oh, Corey geez, Schneider? Yeah, Would absolutely. You I, him? I think so. Corey Hirsch. And also, I uh, Corey Actually, Hirsch. What if, what if every goalie named Corey was a redhead? Okay, we got to get on this. There's, yeah. there's, there's something <laughs> happening here. Yeah. <laughs> How deep does it go? Yeah. Guys, if we're not on the air next week, you know we got a little too. We get taken out. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, we're gonna leave it there. And you know what? We'd love it if our listeners submitted. Give us your all time. Give us the best starting lineup of redheaded players. Maybe we'll see. Um, we'll see if that. Uh, if wait if a that second, has any Corey Perry, kind of a redhead. Is he? No, he's blonde. He's got reddish. He's like. Is that what strawberry blonde is called? Yeah, I think is that so. What it is? Yeah. What's with all Corey? No, I don't. I wouldn't consider. Corey I would consider Perry Corey redhead. Perry like in the zone. He's like, hmm. I mean, he's more blonde. I will get you. But he's one of those people. I bet you his parents would claim that he's like redheaded in the sunlight or something like that. I get. And he's definitely got the. Uh, <laughs> the redheaded right. Corey theory. I love how you introduced the redheaded Corey theory. And then immediately cut my legs out from under me when I yeah. tried to back you up. He's with not. one more example. You're like, nah, I'll get out of here. Yeah. All right. Yeah, with that. All right. Listen, we're going right. to get and out And by here. the way, I, Hawks fans, I don't want to hear about Corey Crawford. We'll, you know, exception that proves the rule. Like, let's yeah. check Corey Crawford's exactly. garbage. Is there hair dye in his uh, <laughs> yeah. garbage at the end of his driveway? Is there? Oh, man. I'm exactly. just asking it's questions like, here. I'm just asking questions. It's, it's like when we all found out uh, that, um, was it Jose Theodore using Propecia? Yeah. It's exactly. It's <laughs> going to be another one of those, yeah. those scandals. All right. We're going to leave it there. We want to thank everybody. Uh, for listening to this, uh, whether you want to weigh in on any, Bernie Nichols' shorthanded prowess or uh, whatever we've talked about today, uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, 845-445-8459 if you want to leave us a voicemail. Uh, a little programming note. we got some something really fun coming next week. Uh, we got our regular episodes uh, of the Athletic Hockey Show, but Monday through Thursday, Corey Pronman is back. Going to be dropping every day his um, 2022 NHL Pipeline ranking. So uh, each morning, Monday through Thursday next week, Corey Pronman, uh, Pipeline Rankings. Look for that. If you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription. It's a dollar a month for the first six months. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of our bonus content from the entire network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. <laughs>